Our Old Testament passage, which is only two verses from Isaiah, which have are echoed in our New Testament passage. This is Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 66, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now we turn to the New Testament passage, which will be our sermon text. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord again. Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us now pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for giving us the word of God. And now may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We have built our house on the rock who is Christ, and so build us up even more. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this is a transition from the sermons I was preaching earlier for you, from Acts 2, and then last week from one verse in John. And now we're moving to the Gospel of Matthew. So Pastor Charles Williams, who uh, had been preaching here for a couple years, was working through Matthew and ended at the end of Matthew 7. So he's already preached this text. Uh, and you're asking yourself, well, why, why am I preaching it if he already preached this? I, I wasn't here when he preached it, so it's not like I thought he did a bad job. I, I'm sure it was very good. He's a very good preacher and very faithful. No, I, before we go back to, to Matthew... Um, I felt it was good for us to simply review 
kind of the heart of Matthew. And I think this passage gets us at things you, that we want to keep in mind as we work through Matthew. You know, one of the, one of the difficulties of preaching through a text is we're dealing with such short passages, which, you know, in some places that's fine. A Proverbs, for example, that's fine. But Matthew is one thing. Matthew is a continuous story. Uh, and it really is one thing unfolding. It's, a, it's something you want to keep the big idea in mind. So I will be reminding you of that as we move through Matthew. If you want to see a summary of Matthew in particular, you read chapter 28, the last part, sometimes called the Great Commission. That's more or less the summary of the Gospel of Matthew. He brings it to a close and reminds you of the key things that he's been teaching uh, through this Gospel message. Uh, but, but here we also see some key ideas that we need to keep in mind as we work through Matthew. So next week, uh, I will be bringing the word to you also. We will start with Matthew 8. That's where Pastor Charles Williams left off. We'll just pick up from where he left off with chapter 8, verse 1, and, and move proceeding. Uh, I figure it will take a year and a half <laughs> to get through the rest of Matthew, so the way I go through things. <laughs> Hopefully we can, you know, race into certain places. But either way, I want you to, may take that long, but you're going to be reminded of the big idea. So what we're doing here is a passage that's often the favorite for people and often makes us a little uneasy. Uh, and I want to focus on this passage, not because it makes us uneasy, but really it should make us excited. It should make us joyful. It should... Uh, really show us the heart of what Matthew is uh, capturing in the teaching of Jesus to uh, clarify what it is that Jesus is up to and what he's introducing. Now, I think it's pretty clear when you study Matthew, and you also can look at the other Gospels, there's, there's a lot of value in comparing them to bring out the message of anyone. But in this gospel, it's really clear what the Sermon on the Mount is. The Sermon on the Mount is essentially a summary of the teaching of Jesus over a long period of time. It is an example of the kinds of things he was teaching the people during a certain period of time. Now this comes out in verse chapter 4, verse 17. And that reads this, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's preaching, and Matthew just gives you one very brief sentence, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and I can guarantee you Jesus said more things, but that's a summary of what he said. And then you also find uh, this in verse 23, so chapter 4, verse 23 of Matthew and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So there's two things here. 
in verse 23, he went throughout their synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and uh, and and so he was doing this repeatedly over a period of time in different places. And you're thinking to yourself, I wish I knew what he was saying. Well, the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew is going to satisfy that curiosity. What are the kinds of things that Jesus said in those synagogues during that time? What, what was he teaching the people about the kingdom of God in their synagogues? Well, the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters. So this is like an example to satisfy our curiosity of what it looks like when he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And notice that. The center of the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's the center of Matthew's gospel, is the preaching of the kingdom of heaven. And you could even say, I'm fully convinced of this, but the kingdom of heaven is the center of everything. It's the center of the Bible, and it's the center of human life. It's the center of the creation. It's it's no small thing. (laughs) And the more you learn about it, the more depth it displays. We're going to see that in our passage. And the second thing you see here is at the end of verse 23, he was healing people with many afflictions, and they're bringing people with diseases, paralytics, uh, demoniacs to be healed. Well, that's, that begins in chapter 8 and 9. So the preaching of the kingdom is a Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, and you want to know what the healings look like That's 8 and 9, Matthew 8 and 9. So you start getting examples of what that looked like, particularly in chapters 8 and 9. So we're going to be looking, beginning in chapter 8, this business of the power and authority of Christ in healing and what that looked like. So you're going to see examples of that. So Matthew is now kind of laying out an outline in verses 23 and 24, kind of an outline of what he's going to do in the next chapters of the book. So he, he helps you to see the big picture and then he uh, gives you examples of it. Now, this is the uh, authority of Christ, which is central. I'd like you to glance, if you will, this is the last verse of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll read Matthew seven twenty-eight to 29. This is really a, a key element. And, and, and by the way, I was here for Pastor Williams preaching on this, and it was wonderful. Uh, but just to remind you, 20, uh, Matthew 7, 28 and 29 says this, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And by the word, the word astonished there, it's, it's uh, flabbergasted dumbfounded. It's actually the word you could use for somebody who goes crazy. (laughs) So they went crazy. (laughs) And why? It's because he's teaching with authority that they've never heard before. And it's the authority of Christ in his teaching which is central to the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching with an authority that only God can claim. 
And here's this man preaching to them with an authority that you just don't get anywhere else. We're going to see that in our passage, and I'm going to make that plain. This is, this is the, what, um, basically they're left looking around saying, this, that authority, teaching with that authority. Then he's going to show them his authority in healing. So authority in teaching, authority in healing. He's going to show that in the unfolding chapters. This is a, uh, something that you have to be impressed with to understand what you're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount. This is not ordinary stuff. First of all, now we will look at our passage. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. These are favorite passages. Again, maybe we have a little uneasiness about this. We shouldn't. But these are a declaration of blessing. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, there are eight of them, eight times he says, blessed is, blessed is, blessed is, eight times, uh, blessed are. This is a declaration. You'll notice he doesn't say, blessed by God. And it's not a prayer. May you be blessed by the Lord, my Father. He's not praying. This is not a prayer. This is a declaration of blessing. Jesus is now declaring this blessing upon these people. He is conveying blessing upon these people. And if you want to know what the opposite of this is, it's cursing. It's pronouncing woe. It's pronouncing that you are in a heap of trouble, as we say in the country. And I'm from a much smaller town than Corvallis originally, okay? McMinnville. 5,000 people when I was growing up. Heap of trouble. Let me give you an example of that. Look, look with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Now, this is a sermon on the plane. Plane is not airplane. Air, plane. <laughs> a level spot. So, sermon on the uh, plane, not the sermon on the mount. It's a different episode, and he's teaching similar stuff, okay? The, the thing about teachers, teachers say the same thing over and over, year after year, okay? This is what we do. Uh, and that's just, that's just a fact. You may change things up a little bit, may reword them a little bit, but you teach the same thing. Nothing wrong with that. And particularly teaching the same thing to the same people. Nothing wrong with that because... Sometimes we need to hear it three or four times before it sinks in, right? Fine. So here he's teaching the same kind of material in verse 20. Luke 6.20 says this. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. 
for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Who is speaking this? It's the judge of all the earth. It's, it's the man appointed to judge all peoples of the world and all the angels. This is the judge of the whole earth pronouncing blessing or woe. So if those things and the Beatitudes are true of you, you have a guaranteed blessing. He is conveying to you a state of blessedness. He is conveying to you a guarantee that you will be blessed. And on the last day, you will hear from Him, come into the joy of the kingdom of God that your Father has prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. You are blessed. So you live your life now under a divine blessing from God through the Son that's now being pronounced in the Beatitudes. That's what you're dealing with here. And notice this is not an exhortation. People take it as an exhortation. I'm not against exhortations. You just keep reading. <laughs> it's like, you want an exhortation? Okay, here's an exhortation. Matthew 5. Uh, verse 17, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Uh, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, notice you get commandments. So then you have this, 21, Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Here's the judge of the whole earth saying, okay, you want the law? Here's the law. Thought, word, and deed must be pure before me. Every thought, word, and deed. My authority reaches to everything about you. And by the way, thought, word, and deed, we have nothing else. We think, we speak, we act. We don't do anything else. And his authority stretches to everything about us. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's nothing else in us. That's love him with everything you got. And the Lord Jesus says, this is, this is the commandment. So if you want commandments, you just keep reading. But brothers and sisters, you can't fulfill the commandments until you have the Beatitudes. Until you have the blessing. Until you have the Gospel. Until you have the Lord Jesus on your side. And that's what the Beatitudes are. Notice what he says. The first one is the key. Matthew 5.3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Two things, poor in spirit. Isaiah 66, verse 2, the one who's humble and contrite, 
The one who comes to God saying, I have nothing to offer you. I don't come in my beauty and strength. I don't come because I've given a lot of money to the church. I don't come because I'm such a wonderful person. I come to you as needy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinful person. Poor in spirit. You recognize your poverty, your need. That's what's required here. And he says, if you come to the Lord bringing nothing other than your need and your poverty, second, you have the kingdom of heaven. Notice he doesn't say you will earn it. You will get it. It will eventually be yours. He says it's yours. I now give it to you. Here's the king of the kingdom of heaven. Here's the king of all creation. Of the new heavens and the new earth. The one who will judge the living and the dead. And you will go into the kingdom of heaven or the the flame of fire by his determination, here's the kingdom, of, the king of the kingdom of heaven saying to you now, if you are poor in spirit, I give you the kingdom of heaven. I give you eternal life in the new creation. It is yours now. You may now live your life in this world as an heir of the kingdom of heaven. What's the guarantee? The promise of the Son of God. the one who has authority that drove these people crazy. Blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven if you come in your need to Jesus. You come to Jesus. Don't say to him, oh, once I get fixed up, once I I finally become worthy, once I renovate my life, then I'm going to come to Jesus. No, you come now. You come in your need. You confess your sins and you come because you are poor in spirit. This this is picked up later. Chapter 11 of Matthew. Favorite passage, right? Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Because I am gentle and lowly of heart. You know what the word lowly of heart there is? It's, it's the same word as found in verse 5. Blessed are the meek. The word meek there is gentle. And he says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. I'm gentle. You come to me. I'm not going to turn you away. I'm gentle. And I will give you the kingdom of heaven. It, it's yours. Here's the gift of it. It's yours. The Beatitudes are the foundation for everything. It's the foundation for our power to overcome our own sinfulness because I'm a child of the kingdom of God. I have it now. I'm an heir of eternal life. I live joyfully before the Lord in light of that. That's what Jesus is, that's what he's doing here. This is not an exhortation unless you're not poor in spirit. Then become so. <laughs> Recognize your need, but it, he's not exhorting that. He's, he's telling you and conveying to you a blessing. This is, this is the blessing that he is now giving us. He's giving you the keys of the kingdom of God. 
And he's saying, now it's yours. You know, here's why this cannot be an exhortation. Here's the, here's the one thing that is absolutely, uh, absolutely uh, clear that this is not an exhortation. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's not exhorting you to mourn. You live your life in this world, you're going to mourn. It doesn't take long for you to learn that in this life, there's going to be mourning. Real, deep, heartfelt sadness and mourning. You're going to have it. But if you belong to the Lord, you will mourn. We don't, we don't take it lightly. We don't say, oh, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. Your, your parents died. Not that big a deal. It's a big deal, okay? Death is our enemy. We hate it. And we do mourn. But we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Our mourning is transformed by the Lord Jesus. It's transformed to where we mourn even in hope because we will be comforted. One of the most striking things in Revelation 21 when the new creation is brought in in that prophecy of John, it says the one seated on the throne will wipe away the tears of all of his people and mourning and crying will be no more. He's, gonna, he's removing it. In the kingdom of God, there's no more death. There's no more mourning. And it will be a season of unending joy and delight and fun. Children, fun. Heaven is fun. If you... <laughs> that picture of babies sitting on clouds, sorry... Not biblical. <laughs> if you think things in this creation are fun, the new creation, more fun. Lots more fun. Fishing and crabbing, all the things that we like to do. <laughs> Will we kill crabs? There won't be any more death. Maybe they'll just die naturally. You know. But, you know I, all kidding aside, fun joyful, exultant, fulfilling. The kind of thing where you couldn't even imagine what it's like because he hasn't yet put it in our heart. We just get glimpses of it. The most joyous times we have now are just glimpses, just small tastes of the joys that we have before the Lord. But now we mourn. Now, brothers and sisters, this is something I want you to keep in mind in the coming weeks. When you're dealing with Matthew and it starts unfolding, the disciples, they don't know what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> okay. They're, they're looking around going, what's he talking about? This isn't what we expected. They expected Jesus to introduce the kingdom of God in this world, right now, right then. Go march in Jerusalem, take over the place and do away with any sort of uh, unrighteousness anymore. Introduce a season of nothing but 
uprightness in all facets of life. And he's not going to do it. And he didn't do it. He went to the cross. Remember what Peter does when Jesus says he's going to go to the cross for the first time. Peter says, not in a million years. And then he gets that rebuke. The disciples don't understand yet what Jesus is up to. And what Jesus is doing is he's preparing them for this light that you and I now know. Because we are in the same situation the disciples were. We still want this world to be our home and Jesus to renovate this world. And he makes no guarantee of that. It might get better the more Christians we have. It would be better. And that's good. And we work for that, absolutely. But it's not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the new creation. And I'm looking at the citizens of the new creation right here. This is what it looks like. People who devote themselves to the Lord Jesus. This is where it starts. Poor in spirit. Who have the kingdom of heaven. But then, notice what he says. So, you have eight beatitudes. The first one says, this, the kingdom of heaven is now yours. The next six all point to future blessings. So the first one, you have the kingdom. And the next six are all, you're not going to be satisfied in this world. If you want to receive comfort from mourning, that's future. That's the new creation form. You're going to have to wait for that. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Merciful, they will receive mercy at the last judgment. Pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. And then it ends with the final one. And here's the clincher for the disciples. They want Jesus to do away with all persecution with all opposition to the righteousness that they expect him to bring in, in this world. And he's not going to do that. He demonstrates it, right? On the cross. He demonstrates that people are going to oppose him, and then he tells them, well, if they oppose me, they're going to oppose you. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. They speak evil about me, the King, the Son of God incarnate. What do you think you're going to get? So you should expect people to speak evil of you because you are a follower of Christ. This is why we are pilgrims in this life. I prefer to think of us as on the Oregon Trail. What's, what are we called if we're on the Oregon Trail? John Wayne, pilgrim. <laughs> All right. But we're, we're, we're on a trail going somewhere. We're going to the new creation. And in the meantime, we live our lives as, as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Now look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first one says... 
yours is the kingdom of heaven, the next six says you will be comforted. You will get those benefits. And the last one says you may be persecuted now, but you have the kingdom of heaven now. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not future. You're not earning it by being persecuting. You are being persecuted because you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because you are my followers. And because you have that inheritance that helps you to stand fast in the midst of persecution. And sometimes that persecution is just people saying nasty things about you. In the grand scheme of things, let them talk. In the grand scheme of things, let them do their worst. They're the ones who are harmed by it, not you. They imagine that you'll just become like them. You won't. You're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You're being transformed from glory into glory. You've been given the Holy Spirit that in His power you can stand fast against all this. And you want good examples of that? How this works in the world? Keep reading. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now this righteousness sake is because of my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. So you want a good example of how to hold fast with this? You read Jeremiah. Yeah, Jeremiah complained. But it was a complaint of, how long, O Lord, do we have to live in this world until you bring in the new creation? So we don't complain as those who have no hope. We just complain as those who look to him to bring us the reward that he promises us and gives us of his grace. And the great reward that he's already given you is a gold I was going to say gold-plated, but it's not gold-plated. It's 100% gold passport to the kingdom of heaven. You've got it. You already have the passport. You're a dual citizen. You're a citizen of this world and of the next. Because here's the king issuing the passport. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Here, Here you go. Here's your passport. How do I know? On the last day, who is it that's going to be standing there as the judge of all the earth? It's him. It's this man speaking with this authority. This is why they saw the authority here. This is it. This is not merely a man speaking. This is someone who has all authority in heaven and earth. Sound familiar? Great commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the Lord Jesus says in resurrection glory. In the new creation, oh, I've already entered it. In resurrection glory. It's guaranteed because I'm the pathway. I'm the trailblazer. I lead 
I'll lead you there. I'm the shepherd. I will lead you to that place. So, brothers and sisters, this is kind of fundamental. Yeah, there is stuff here where we, we say, well, I'm not meek enough. Uh, you know, everybody mourns enough. I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness enough. I need to be more merciful. I need to be pure in heart. I need to be better at being a peacemaker. Yeah, okay, good. Get better. <laughs> How do you get better? You get better because you focus on what you have and who you are. You have everything. And you, you just grow into your heritage. And the working of him who, who blazes the trail for us. So yeah, these are things we should do. But these are things he just conveys to his people. And he says to you, if you are a peacemaker and you're working hard for this and you don't see a lot of fruit, oh, you'll find peace. You will see God. You will, you will find your identity as children of God now by acting this way. This is what children of God look like. They're peacemakers. This is, this is what those who see God look like. They, uh, they are the people who are pure in heart. People who don't have two minds. They really love the world and they love the Lord as well. Luke 12. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And here's the Son of God speaking in the name of his Father, saying to you, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel for us this day. Let us pray. Oh Lord, how can we respond to such a magnificent word except by giving you thanks, coming before you, resolving to be reflecting the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord better day by day, but doing so, O oh Lord, knowing that we look to you for every good thing and all that growth, but we do so with thanks, O oh Lord. We give you thanks and praise that we have this word to hold fast to, that we may love you more and more day by day because you've conveyed to us of your grace as a gift from our Heavenly Father, the Kingdom of Heaven. We praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.